Okay, this morning um, we are starting together a three-part mini-series um, within our broader series entitled Rooted Through the Gospel of Mark Together. Um, and specifically, this three-part series is on the topic of healing, uh, physical healing. And since this is such a heavy topic, uh, I, and I recognize that uh, we may come here this morning carrying all sorts of kind of different baggage with regard to, to physical healing or lack thereof, maybe you or someone you love um, have been suffering with a chronic, debilitating physical ailment for years now, and you've prayed and pleaded with the Lord about it, um, and he has not delivered you physically from that. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe, frankly, you're even fed up. Uh, all sorts of baggage we could bring to this subject, but because it's so heavy, I thought I would just start by trying to break the ice and ease some of the tension with a joke. You seem nervous. Um, it turns out there aren't many church-appropriate jokes about uh, suffering and healing. Um, go figure. And so I had to make one up. So... Here it goes. We got some lights. Yeah, we're working on uh, here, here goes the joke. A Christian scientist, a word of faith, uh, faith healer, and an evangelical Christian walk into a hospital room. The Christian scientist takes one look at the woman lying in the bed and says, what are you doing here? Sickness is an illusion. Modern medicine is evil. And Jesus is all you need. Get up, go home, and pray harder. The faith healer says, no, clearly you don't have the faith to heal yourself. Your lack of faith is the reason you're here in the first place. Let me heal you. Write me a check for $1,000 right now. I'll pray over you. My faith will heal you. The evangelical Christian looks at the Christian scientist. He looks at the faith healer. And then he looks down at the sick woman. And he says, nothing. Nothing. You're not laughing. I've got a weird sense of humor. Maybe, uh, maybe it's because this is really less of a joke and more of an illustration of what I think we see going on in the Christian world today when it comes to the subject of healing. Uh, we saw this with the topic of demons that we studied last month. Um, evangelicalism looks around and sees these various offshoots of Christianity handling a subject so poorly, whether it was with demons, the liberal mainline Protestants who disbelieve in them altogether, or hyper-spiritualist charismatics who see a demon hiding behind every tree, evangelicalism uh, looks and rightly identifies so many problems with these other approaches that we then wrongly conclude it's easiest to just say nothing at all, avoid the topic altogether, and so we don't talk about demons. And the same is often true for healing. Uh, it seems like the only Christians talking about healing today are the ones who get it badly wrong. And so, a joke really isn't funny at all because it exposes uh, the way that evangelical Christianity, by and large, has dealt with this topic of healing, or rather doesn't deal with it. Uh, it's hard to know what to say when so much of what gets said is so hurtful to the ones who are hurting in the first place, and so instead we say nothing. But fortunately, 
uh, for those who are hurting, Scripture doesn't say nothing. Scripture actually has quite a bit to say on this subject. Nine passages in the Gospel of Mark alone on the topic of physical healing. And so even if we don't know what to say, maybe that's actually for the best because we can shut our mouths and open our ears to hear what God has to say on the topic. And so that's going to be my prayer over these next three weeks together is that we could hear what the Lord has to say to us on the topic of healing. So would you pray with me as we um, ask the Lord to do that? Father, would you speak to us this morning through your word? Would you um, carve out this next 30 or 35 minutes for us to just shut our mouths and open our ears? And Father, would you do the work that only you are able to do, Holy Spirit, in opening our hearts uh, to your word this morning? Soften our hearts. Make us receptive to hear the gospel. Jesus, we pray that in this topical sort of study of healing, uh, we would not lose sight of the gospel, the most important kind of healing we need. So, Father, would you speak to us now through the power of your Holy Spirit, the power of your word. Make my words few, uh, your words many. I must decrease, you must increase, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Um, Number one, got four points you'll see in your bulletin. We turn first, uh, we'll examine four of our nine passages. Um, We turn first to Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. This is Jesus' first healing miracle. uh, And the first and perhaps most important thing that we need to point out about healing right off the bat is that it is important, but it is not most important. Uh, Read with me Mark 1. Uh, 29 through 31, and immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever, fever left her, and she began to serve them. Physical healing is important to Jesus. That's why Mark includes nine separate accounts of Jesus healing people, and yet it is never most important. To Jesus, we, we will see this truth borne out, especially in two weeks, in Jesus' healing of the paralytic. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Jesus prioritizes healing the man's soul, forgiving him of his, his sins before he even thinks about healing him physically, his body. Or consider Mark 1, 38 and 39, the passage just after the one I just read, where the crowds in Capernaum are turning up in droves, coming to Jesus because they've heard about him and his miraculous healing powers. And Jesus responds, I guess that means it's time for me to move on to other towns. And it's not because I've healed everyone here in Capernaum. No, it's because I've already preached here in Capernaum, he says. Now I must go preach elsewhere. That is why I came, Jesus says in verse 39. Jesus came primarily not to meet physical needs, but to meet our deeper spiritual need, Luke 4.43. And that is at least, I think, hinted at here in Jesus' first healing in chapter 1, simply by virtue of its place in Mark's chronology and what that tells us about its relative importance. Now, we have to be careful. I'm making an inference here. I can't prove that just because something happens first in Scripture, that makes it more important. But I do think it's interesting, and I don't think it's inconsequential, 
that before Jesus ever heals anyone, Mark first foregrounds the importance of God's word in verses 1 through 8 by rooting Jesus in his Old Testament context, that before Jesus ever heals anyone or performs any ministry for that matter, he is first called and commissioned by the Father at his baptism in verses 9 through 11, that before Jesus heals anyone, he demonstrates the importance of internal integrity over outward ability. When he's tempted in the wilderness in verses 12 and 13, Jesus proved he was not only capable of the ministry entrusted to him, but that he is credible for it as well. Before Jesus heals anyone, he announces his mission, the gospel, in verses 14 and 15. He starts not with the what, but the why. I'm here because the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. All these passages we've studied the past two months now. Before Jesus heals anyone, he highlights the importance of community. I was Taylor's sermon, calling the disciples in verses 16 through 20. Perhaps even our social health is more important than our physical health. Jesus surrounds himself with a community before he even meets a single physical need. And finally, before Jesus heals anyone, he preaches and teaches and spiritually heals people in verses 21 through 28. So physical healing is important to Jesus, absolutely. But it is not as important as God's word, as God's calling, as our character, as the gospel, as Christian community, as evangelism, spiritual healing. There is a hierarchy of importance being established here. And so my question for us this morning for practical application is do our prayer lives reflect that? If time and time again Jesus proves that physical needs matter to him, yes, but not as much as our deeper spiritual needs, do our prayers mirror God's priorities? Listen, I am so honored as your pastor to pray alongside you each week the prayer tear-off card that Donnie mentioned for the physical healing of your family and friends. That is the, the number one most common type of prayer request we receive at West Hills each week. And that is wonderful that West Hills is a church that, that faithfully intercedes for people's physical healing. Let's keep it up. But I can just tell you that I am even more encouraged when less frequently we receive the requests of those of you for spiritual healing for your lost loved ones who don't know the Lord, and if God forbid, they don't physically recover from that cancer, and it does take their life, they are at serious risk of spending eternity separated from God. Friends, that is our deeper need. That is the more pressing need, and I will pray with you for that person's physical recovery, but the harsh truth is, call me a pragmatist, but I mean, she, she's going to die in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, anyway. And I am much more concerned with her quality of life for the next thousand, the next million, the, the next billion, eternity years. That is what is most important. About a month ago, Brian Gamble's father was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer and given only four months to live, a few months to live. And when I called Brian, the first thing he said was, please pray for my dad's heart. And I thought, has the cancer spread to his heart already? Brian said, even if the treatment works, and he's in the 90th percentile who survives up to two years, if my father doesn't repent and trust in Jesus, he's just delaying the inevitable. I want him in heaven with me for eternity. That's how you want to pray, friends.
That is the most important need. Because none of us, no matter how excellent your physical health, is guaranteed our next breath around this place. And so I want to ask all of us a very simple, very direct question this morning. If you left here today, and as you were merging back onto Highway 40, you got mowed over by an 18-wheeler. That happened a few weeks ago, right here, right in front of the church. That happened to you. Do you know for certain where you would spend your eternity? Do you know? Follow-up question. How do you know? When you stood at the gates of heaven and God himself asked you, why should I let you in? How would you answer? If you hear nothing else this morning, please hear this. If your answer has anything to do with the fact that you tried to live a good life, with, you tried to be a good person, with your church attendance, with being baptized, with being raised in a Christian family, with trying your hardest to follow Jesus and please him, with anything that you have done or tried your very hardest to do, you will spend eternity separated from God according to his word. Because try as you may, you will never be good enough to impress God, to deserve God, to earn his love. He is perfect. So anything short of perfection is just going to screw heaven up. You are disqualified from entrance. You will ruin heaven on your own merit. But friend, hear the good news this morning. Jesus lived the life that you could not live. He died the death that you deserve, and he rose from the grave to conquer the sin that you couldn't so that you could stand before the almighty God of the universe with confidence, not because of anything that you've done, but because of everything he's done for you in Jesus. It's the gospel. And if you will simply trust in him, trust in Jesus you will be saved. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I ask you again this morning, have you called on the name of the Lord? Today can be your day of salvation. Repent and believe the gospel. And for those of us who have, let's keep our priorities straight. Let's care and pray hard for those who are physically suffering and need healing. But let's care more and pray harder for those who are spiritually suffering and need that kind of restoration. Amen? Amen. Point number two is that healing is the gift of a compassionate God. A gift from a compassionate God. We turn to Mark 1, verses 40 through 44, and here. A leper came to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Two things stand out to me about healing here. Number one, it must be Jesus' will. It is a gift from him. And number two, it is a gift that he offers because he is compassionate. So let's take them both in turn. First, the leper rightly recognizes that if he's going to be healed, it's not going to be because he willed it. 
because of his great faith, but rather it will only be as a result of Jesus' faithfulness to him because Jesus willed it. And so he declares, Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. This is one of the things that the word of faith, prosperity gospel, false teachers get most wrong about healing. It is not ultimately the sick person's faith or even the intercessory healing prayer person's faith that bring about healing. Healing only occurs because God wills it. God is the only one who can heal physically, spiritually, or otherwise. We're the problem. He's the solution. He is the physician. And while he sometimes sovereignly appoints and determines to use us as instruments through which to accomplish his healing, God uses physicians to heal people medically. God uses the prayers of a righteous person, James 5, to heal spiritually. But in any case, if a person is healed, it was because God willed it. And the converse and more difficult truth for us to accept sometimes, of course, is that when healing doesn't happen, that is also because God did not will it. False teachers like Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Bill Johnson, Todd White will say things like, I can't believe that it is ever God's will not to heal someone. Or if I had the power to heal my own child who was suffering and I didn't do it, that would make me a terrible father. I can't believe that God is a father like that. And to them, God says in Psalm 50, verse 21, you make the mistake of thinking that I am like you. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Praise God that his ways are higher than ours. That even when we can't understand, even when we struggle to believe that he's still good, that in the midst of the most unthinkable of tragedies, the cross of Jesus, our Father has already proven that he's still at work, he's still good, he's still transforming the most unspeakable suffering this world has ever known into the most glorious, redemptive act of all time. Because our God is compassionate. Literally, he suffers with us. And we need look no further than the cross for proof. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. You want to talk about weakness, about suffering, about desperately being in need of physical healing. How about crucifixion? Brothers and sisters, we don't just have a God who feels bad for us from heaven, but who suffers with us here. That's what sets Christianity apart from so many other religions. Most people, if they believe in God at all, they envision him as this stoic who could never be affected by the minor hurts and pains of lowly peons like us. But Jesus is no stoic. Jesus was moved with pity, we hear in verse 41, for this man with Leprosy. Leprosy is a skin condition. This man is not about to die. I don't want to downplay it, but he's mainly itchy. <laughs> and yet Jesus cares. He is moved. He is splunknistis, moved deep within his bowels, to his core, we might say, with compassion for this man. And even here, Jesus isn't just concerned with the man's physical healing. 
his physical suffering, he instructs the man to go, show yourself to the priest, and be cleansed. Jesus restores him socially, relationally as well, back into community. Lepers were social outcasts, but Jesus shows this man compassion. He could have, Jesus could have just spoken a word and healed him. But what does he do? He stretches out his hand and he touches him. This man hadn't been touched who knows how long. In a few weeks, some of us will go volunteer with Serve Week at Del Mar Gardens right across the street. You might have the opportunity to hug someone who literally might not have been touched by another human being in years. That's, that's not uncommon in nursing homes today. Compassion. Jesus shows us here that he is both sovereign, that healing is a gift that comes from him, and he's also compassionate. And he doesn't just care about us, but he is affected by us and suffers with us. What a savior. What a, what a kind, loving, merciful healer we have in Jesus. Point number three is that healing is deeply theological. We look at Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And here again, Jesus entered the synagogue with a, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Healing is deeply theological. In our final passage today, we'll read in just a moment, Jesus will tell a sick woman, your faith has made you well. By contrast here in Mark 3, we see that the Pharisees, because of their lack of faith, specifically because of their misguided theological conviction that rules are more important than people, the Pharisees have effectively eliminated even the possibility of this man's healing, at least on the Sabbath. I don't want to make this practical and personal for us today. I think there are two ways that we can err as Christians today when it comes to healing. I think of C.S. Lewis's famous statement about demons, which holds true here for healing as well. On the one hand, we err by making too much of healing, the Christian scientists, prosperity, health, and wealth gospel, or contrastingly, and perhaps more relevantly for us in this room this morning, most of us, we can err by making too little of healing. Have we, in our reaction against the heresies of such false gospels that make the gospel all about physical, temporary, fleeting happiness and health and wealth, have we in reaction against that, or perhaps just in our unconscious adoption of the materialist worldview of the society in which we live that despiritualizes everything, have we reduced all healing to merely physical intervention, merely medical intervention? Do we even make room in our theology anymore for the possibility that there's a spiritual dimension to physical healing, or have we, like the Pharisees, ruled it out? If God actually wanted to supernaturally heal someone in your life 
perhaps even use your prayers for them as the vehicle for doing it, do we still have a category for that? That God still works in those ways today? I know I do, but I will be honest and admit I often don't pray like it. Aren't our prayers often full of qualifiers, of well-meaning, theologically sound qualifiers, but qualifiers nonetheless? God, I pray that you would heal this person, but if it isn't your will, and then we spend twice as much of our prayer on that. That's true. It may not be God's will, but you're not called to know God's will. We're called to pray with boldness. How many of you, I mean, let's just be honest with each other this morning. I have. How many of you have ever been afraid to pray for something, maybe healing in particular, because you weren't sure if it was God's will? And so what happens then if I prayed for something that wasn't God's will? Does that mean I'm opposing God's will? And so I'm, I qualify and I weaken my prayers. And I overemphasize God's sovereignty so much that I effectively take myself out of the equation altogether. I mean, if God's will is going to be done regardless of what I pray, then why pray for anything ever? Right? Perhaps you've heard it said of, of evangelism, pray like it's all up to God, preach like it's all up to you. I think there's so much truth in that that some of us in the Reformed Big God, sovereign God, evangelical camp need to appreciate this morning when it comes to physical healing too. We might paraphrase that and say, remember it's all up to God, pray like it's all up to you. Don't overqualify your prayers, friends. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, his will will ultimately be done. But it's not our job to know his will. It's our job to pray boldly. Hebrews 4.16, let us with confidence, with boldness, draw near to the throne of grace. 1 John 5, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we asked of him. In other words, assume that if it's his will, he's going to grant your request. And since you can't know whether it's his will or not, just pray like it's his will. Pray with boldness. Pray like this person's healing is up to you, even while you remember that ultimately it's in the Lord's hands. Finally, point number four, healing is always possible with Jesus. It's always possible with Jesus. Mark chapter five, verses 22 through 43, longer passage. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at Jesus' feet, implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had, it was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports of Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, 
and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you? And yet you would say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know and told them to give her something to eat. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot we could say about this passage. This is the longest healing story in Mark's gospel. I think it might be the longest in any gospel. I'll just keep it real simple here this morning as we wrap up. Healing is always possible with Jesus. Mark goes out of his way to describe about the first woman to emphasize just how hopeless her case is. I mean, she's been bleeding for 12 years straight. It's amazing she is still alive at all. She's been to every physician in Galilee. She's only gotten progressively worse. And yet, all it takes is touching a piece, a fringe of Jesus' robe, and she's healed. And that's just the warm-up. Because the second story, the girl is dead. It doesn't get much more hopeless than that. And with a mere word, Jesus speaks breath back into her lungs. And all due respect to the physicians here, but God is the only one who gets to give the number of weeks that we have left to live. I want to call Brian West up here to share his testimony with us this morning, but we don't have time, and I don't think he's here. So I'm going to connect with Brian this week. I'm going to connect with Brian this week, and we're going to see about getting his testimony up here next week. But suffice it to say, with God, there is always hope. There's always hope. I'm not giving you false hope. I'm not up here standing up here telling you if you just have enough faith or write me a check. or Just saying, with God, there is always hope. We serve the good physician. He alone knows the number of hairs on your head and the number of days that he has allotted to you. 
and we can trust him. And even if he doesn't come through in the way that you want him to, the way that you're praying boldly that he would, he's still good. His promises are still true. That he's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen? We can trust him. Thank God that we can know the good physician and that we know that regardless of any physical healing or not, regardless of whether we get 30 years in this flesh suit or 90, we're all going to die. But we can know with confidence that our eternal, lasting, important, spiritual healing is secure in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray.